Fitzroy, Argo, and Rainier rush to save the captive students from a pack of hellhounds. Is help on the way? Things look grim. Luckily, some accessories brighten up everyone's day. Then, the Thundermen meet a new advisor. Five questions need answers. A mind is poisoned. A painful transition. We listen to episode 26 of Taz Graduation, so you know what that means. It's time for Talking Taz. Alright everyone, welcome back to Talking Taz, your weekly journey through the worlds of the adventures of graduation. With you as always is me, your host and producer PJ, and with me as always is my lovely co-host, Lauren. Hi everyone! Lauren, what'd you think of this episode? I really liked it. We talked last week about how Gray is giving them a chance to potentially save the students, and that's exactly where mind was. That's my mind was, that's exactly where the episode goes. It fed from last week's episode really well. I liked it. I had a good time. Yeah, no, I think it was a fun episode. I think it was very kind of like, I know a lot happened, but it almost felt carrying a very like by the book of an episode. Like, I don't feel like there was anything where I was like, wow, I can't believe they did that. Or I can't believe they did that. Yeah, that's true. There weren't any like big revelations. There wasn't any really big power moves. It was a very standard D&D episode. Yeah, but I feel like last week was so big that I, I don't mind kind of a return to form. Yeah, no, it was nice to go back and just go back to the rules of D&D. And I know how combat works as opposed to last week where it's like, I literally don't know what's happening. Yeah. Well, speaking of combat, let's jump into it. Oh, man. Uh, we start right in the Hellhound fight. Fitzroy, Argo, and Rainier are standing at the foot of the stairs of the school, at the top of which is Gray. The Hellhounds are about 50 yards away from the tree, and the 10 unconscious students are secured to it. Fitzroy, Argo, and Rainier are 20 yards away from it and are sure if they sprint, they will make it to the tree before the Hellhounds. Can I say yards is such a weird measurement for me? Because it's always in feet. Everything's in feet in D&D Beyond. That's so when true. he's like yards, I was like, that's throwing me off. That's true. I didn't even think about that. I was just like, well, it's 20 yards. Like, that's part of a football field. <laughs> See, I have such a hard time. We've talked about this before. Visualizing space. Every single time we move in D&D, I always have to like measure and count it out just because I can't visualize the space myself. So when he was throwing yards at me, I was like, God, Travis, I can't even do feet. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, well, the boys tear towards the tree all 20 yards. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> uh, Rainier following, and Fitzroy writes, back to school now in the notebook of far speech as he goes. They all reach the tree and have about one round of combat to prepare before the hellhounds will be on them. Oof. It's dark, but Fitzroy is able to make out Moon as one of the students tied to the tree with ropes. Oh my god, Moon. I know, I was like, no, not Moon. Not moon. Anyone but Moon. <laughs> well, maybe not anyone but Kill Moon. Kill all other nine of them. <laughs> I mean, we don't know. What if What if Leon's there? Hawk Leon. They would have said it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> which uh, Argo tries to cut the rope, but it takes him some time to do so. So it takes up his whole turn, which is fair. Yeah, I get it. Fitzroy casts Erupting Earth, which damages the lead four hellhounds and makes the area difficult terrain, which I was like, solid planning move. Is it at least makes it harder for them to get to you. Exactly. I was like, as far as like preparation goes, that's a really, that's a power move. Rainier casts a spell which covers their left flank in acid to protect that side of their group, and they roll for initiative. Oh god, here we go. Argo is up first and he creates water, making it rain on the unconscious students to wake them up, which was a very creative way of using that move. Oh yeah, no, Travis really liked that. He's like, I'm going to let this happen, because it's super cool. Like, you don't even need to roll for it, it's just gonna happen. Yeah. The students are now not only freed from their bonds, but are all awake, although they are all still prone. Fitzroy is next, putting a hand on Argo's shoulder, and he casts haste on him, yes. which, like, casting haste on a rogue is... 
almost a little frustrating as a DM, but <laughs> such a baller move. And I say that as a DM that like purposefully gave my rogue a weapon that allows them to cast haste on themselves. Yeah, yeah. That's me. I'm the rogue. I get to cast haste on myself sometimes. And it is so cool to be able to do twice your actions and move twice your speed. Like, God, rogues are super cool anyway. But if you give one haste where they can do even more stuff, it's the only person I think it could be even more broken for is like a monk. Oh, yes. A high level monk. I think early monk, it's a little boring. But like second you get to like a six to like plus level monk, like they are already doing four attacks usually per round. Mm -hmm. Just make that eight and they're just pop 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 oh man yeah no a hasted monk would also be pretty broken Fitzroy obviously gets a surge of wild magic which again I've talked about this I like love and hate that Travis has kind of gone from like the rules of wild magic to just like Every time you cast a spell, it's wild magic. Exactly. There's still no sign of a mechanic that we can measure it by. It literally feels like every Travis is literally just like, well, you're powerful now. So wild magic always. Wild magic always. Which again, I don't hate because, you know, personally, I do love wild magic surges and I'll do anything I can to get them into the game. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like there needs to be a system for it to not happen every time. Yeah, no, I completely agree. There needs to be a mechanic that we can all follow and we all understand as when it will happen. And you can speak to this as a DM. Wild magic can harm the players and it can harm the villains. So like sometimes some of these get to bite Travis in the butt. Yeah. Uh, Well, this one... uh makes them cause 40 10 lightning damage uh, on three of the hellhounds yeah which takes down the lead three so it did work obviously against him but like i don't think travis is you know trying to make it bad for them but i think again i just think it's such an interesting choice to be like yep anytime magic wild magic all magic all wild all the time oops all wild magic Uh, the hellhounds are next, but due to the difficult terrain and acid, they are funneled and only four get through. One of them gets Fitzroy, but the other three miss their attacks. Rainier animates one of the dead hellhounds and takes out another hellhound with it. So freaking cool. God, necromancers are so cool. Yeah. Uh, we return to the top of initiative with Argo, who instructs the students to climb the tree and attacks the runt of the hellhounds. Can you tell? I mean, I would imagine it's, I mean, they're still just hellhounds or creatures. One of them is probably tinier. How are they, this is getting a little lorry. How are they made? I'm not sure how they're made, but even, even regular demons, I don't imagine all pit fiends look and act and are shaped the exact same. Like clearly they're the same entity, but like in terms of just being the same creature, Mm-hmm. Like when I the, the way I think about it is like if you are to create a sure let's go with imp there's the other one that I I can't remember but let's say you 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 are a demon lord making imps I don't imagine all the imps look exactly the same like I imagine there's bigger ones and smaller ones and pudgier ones and I feel like they're they've got to be all different like I don't think they kind of are made the same like I don't think it's a mold mm-hmm. you're creating a life like there's always going to be room for error and stuff and. There's probably deformed ones and exceptionally powerful ones. And yeah. There you have it, kids. We all learned a little bit about uh, how to make a demon today. That's just how I think it goes. It might be wrong. (laughs) I mean, it makes sense to me. So I'd agree with you. Uh, But he attacks it with a sneak attack. And he doesn't roll it right. He doesn't. (laughs) He 100% doesn't. He's like sneak attack. He's like sneak attacks it. But, A, I guess, like, I could see it not being a sneak attack just because, like, 
they're coming right for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe he just didn't roll sneak attack damage because he was just doing the like, I'm Argo. I say sneak attack. But I, as Clint, know that this is not a sneak attack roll. So maybe he didn't roll it wrong. But like, but I don't Travis, know. Travis was like, no, you can use sneak attack here. Like he allowed it as the DM. Yeah. So he should have rolled like way at more least, d6s than he did at least three if not four d6s but he only rolled an additional one d6 and i was like yeah. you could have done so much more damage my dude yeah i don't know what happened there Mm-mm. um he uses his second attack to go after the same hellhound which hits and the hound now looks pretty rough ha 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 he looks pretty <laughs> rough a hellhound huh <laughs> it's where verifies the students are climbing which all of them are with about half safely up the branches of the tree, and then conjures a tidal wave, drenching the hellhounds, five of which take damage and are knocked prone, while three hounds and Argo only take half damage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's... Okay. So this was my question, right? Because Travis was like, Argo is very much in the way of the tidal wave, whereas Griffin was like, no, I want to create a tidal wave like in front of us that pushes the hellhounds back. And it sounds like no matter no, what. Well, because Argo was actively engaged with the hounds. I don't think there's a reality where you could miss him. Right. But I mean, as far as I understood it, I don't think Griffin was trying to get all of the hellhounds. I think he was trying to push the other ones away. I don't know. Maybe I misunderstood. But it sounded like no matter what, t- what direction the tidal wave was going to go, Argo was inevitably going to get hit. It made me sad. Well, I mean, I think it's only fair because they've clearly created a funnel. Mm-hmm right for the hellhounds coming in so you can't then just be like but i want to kind of ignore the funnel for this tidal wave going out that's true unless you would center it somewhere else i guess yeah i think i think it, it the call made sense to me okay i had some beef with it but if you approve then maybe i, I think just... we i think we're just visualizing it differently and that's why we have different opinions on it that's probably true and honestly it's, we're probably both visualizing it completely differently than they visualized it that's the hard thing with podcasts is like they're describing it but how you see it you know it's like the nice thing about um dimension 20 right Mm -hmm. now that they're going virtual obviously because of the pandemic Mm -hmm. is because it is a video you get to see like even old dimension 20 because they had the battle maps like you know they had these huge very well-made stages like basically like mm-hmm. maps that they were playing on so you always got to see exactly where everyone was doing everything and even now that they're digital they have like the roll 20 on the screen mm-hmm. at all times so like there's nothing to like be confused about you know exactly what's going on always mm-hmm. and it's so hard with something like this where it is all theater of the mind mm-hmm. because sometimes we do have those like wait how is that working i don't understand how that would work that way but like Obviously, they know exactly how it works because they actually are usually on a battle map, aren't they? Like, I used to see their battle maps for Amnesty. I think they do play yeah. in World 20. I think at least with Griffin's campaign, they Yeah, did. maybe not with this. Maybe this is all theater of the mind. Yeah, because I don't remember, at least in graduation, Travis ever referring to, like, look where you are on the map. He did send them the map of the Impospital, but that was it, it's I true. think. I don't know. I'm not sure, but... Who knows? Regardless, we have to theater of the mind it, and it's going to lead to things like this. Exactly. (laughs) Fitzroy obviously experiences another wave of wild magic. No save, no nothing. Nope. Uh, And he casts a mirror image on himself. So three illusory duplicates of Fitzroy appear, all of them mirroring him. 
so the enemies cannot determine which Fitzroy is a real one. That's super, that's another super cool spell to happen yeah. right now. The hounds are up next, uh, the five getting up from prone, and one of the three going for the illusory Fitzroy, whom explodes. The oh. two remaining hellhounds close in on Argo and are about to lunge at him when a shadow crosses the moon, Ugh. a giant eagle swooping down and colliding with one of the hellhounds, meaning Master Fearbulk has joined the fight. Yay, Master Fearbulk's back! That's Fearbulk knocks the hellhound prone and attacks it with his beak, which kills it. Yay. He then goes for the other hellhounds with his talents, which hits. Uh, the hellhounds attack the Fearbulk, which hit and does some considerable damage, unfortunately. Yeah. Rainier casts Ray of Sickness at the hellhounds that is attacking Master Fearbulk and takes it down in its poison state. Yay. We are back at the top of the order and Argo shapes water on the water under the hellhounds, which was left over from the tidal wave. And freezes it. Love that. Again, super creative moves from Clint always as Argo. Like, he has just really stepped it up. Yeah, he really has. Travis rolls a dex throw for the hounds, but rolls a nat one. Oh. So all the hellhounds that had stood up for prone are not back down again. And Argo <laughs> attacks the other hellhounds near them. He hits and takes it down, but then has to do a wisdom saving throw. Oh. And feels a pressure behind his eyes drawing his attention to where Grey is standing, and Argo realizes Grey's attention has been on Argo the entire fight. Oh my god! Grey is studying him and then smiles and nods, and Argo takes psychic damage. And I was like, what is happening here? What is going on? Stop looking at my boy. Get out of here, Grey! Fitzroy is up next and realizes that Argo is distracted by Grey for a moment, so he points at Grey and casts Mind Spike. Oh my god. (laughs) Grey fails his saving throw, taking psychic damage himself, but the lit thing about Mind Spike is it allows you to know the exact location of a fail, like the target that fails, Mm -hmm. for an hour. So like, this is honestly one of the best things he could have done. Honestly, yes. I am always, like, Griffin... I understand is a wonderful DM, but I really like him as a player and the moves he makes against the people who he's angry on. Like it stresses me out, but it's also like so cool. And I, I I don't think he didn't know, but I honestly want to know if he realized that he was what he was doing. Cause like, I know I've had players cast mind spike and then be like, Oh wait, this lets me know where they are for the next hour. Huh? I didn't even realize that his mind spike is just a generally good attack spell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, like it's just such an added benefit for this specifically. I mean, in most fights it isn't cause like half the time you're fighting to the death. Mm-hmm. But like when you're fa- fighting like against like the, the big bad like this, where you know, it's not the final fight. Like, clutch move clutch move always read your spells all the way through kids some of them do some pretty cool stuff gray is you know upset about taking damage especially psychic so he retreats to his hell dimension which fitzroy knows and can access the information of gray's home again if he needs it like literally him being mad and retreating just gave fitzroy all the information he needs i know i was like wow that was an even cooler move because gray screwed up in leaving yeah the Hellhounds are next, but with Grey gone and all of them rising from prone and damage, they retreat. Travis lets the boys know that they could take any last parting shots they would like, uh, the Hellhounds needing to run some distance before they reach any cover, and Griffin staunchly refuses, saying they're still puppers with cute, adorable toe beats. <laughs> I mean, I would agree. As soon as he's like, dogs are running away from you, I'm like, I'm not going to hit a dog. See, and I'm more like Clint, who has no such reservation, and stabs the one closest to him, killing it. Oh my god, they are puppers. I mean, I know they were just attacking the boys, but like, they're 
dog still yeah. in a way. Anyway. And the battle is now finished and all the students make their way back inside. And a broad-shouldered Warforge stands in the entryway. The Warforge says the fight was impressive and asks the boys to meet them at Jackal's balcony tomorrow if they want help winning the war before they depart. Master Fearbog wild shapes back into a Fearbog with some very disturbing audio from Justin. Yes! Oh my god, I was like, what is happening right now? Oh god, and Fitzroy asks how his trip to his clan went, but Master Fearbog does not wish to speak on it. Understandably, his very dad just much. died. Exactly, and he was not welcomed back no. with any sort of warmth. So yeah, no, I get that. Except for silence. from his dad, who is the best. And who was, was now gone. The best. I know. Ugh, ugh. Rainier departs and the boys return to their dorm as well, falling asleep or into half meditation in Fitzroy's case. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Though as soon as Argo closes his eyes, he is back in the hell dimension that traumatized him so much the last time he was in it. Yeah. Gray standing before him saying he's happy because he knows the effects of his dimension when he sees it and says this will be a lot of fun. And I was like, get out of here, Gray. Get out of here, Gray. Ugh. Hello everyone, it's me, PJ, your eloquent editor, here as always to thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you're enjoying this episode, and doing some math here at the rate we're releasing and that the boys are, we should be fully caught up by episode 39, though that would entail them making it to episode 39, and obviously I kind of hope that happens. We'll see if it does, but I'd love to be able to like live react or some similar event for the finale if we can. Whatever we end up doing to celebrate the finale, find out about it by keeping up with us on social media. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Talking Taz. On Facebook, you can also find the official Talking Taz group, where you can interact with us as well as other fans of the podcast. Or go to our website, talking-taz.pinecast.co, for links to those socials as well as all of our episodes. If you're enjoying the show, tell your friends about it and leave a review on iTunes. It really does help. Notes from this episode. In the episode, we discuss how hellhounds are made. Turns out, just like most creatures are made. Good old-fashioned baby-making. Hellhounds were originally created by primordial entities eons ago, but since have existed independently as their own species. They're typically born in litters and do have full puppy to adult life cycles. Fun fact, as puppies, they burp up flames. Less fun fact, when a hellhound reaches the end of their life cycle, including just by dying, their inner flame completely engulfs them and they leave behind only charred scraps of fur. So keep that in mind the next time you run hellhounds in your campaign. We also asked if all devils were basically uniform in features and appearance, or if they were unique. Turns out they're very unique, though some of the higher ranks can get more cookie cutter. They can come in different forms, shapes, and colors, though it does seem that pit fiends mostly come out looking fairly similar, but that is because they are essentially rebuilt in the pit of flame and washed of all their old features to become beings of pure evil and malice. Fun fact, when pit fiends emerge from the pit of flame, they get to choose what gender they are. They can also change their gender, but they do have to go through the pit of flame again, but in any case, we stand gender not being seen as a permanence. Last week, we asked about emotional moments in D&D with your characters, and some of your stories brought a tear to my eye. This week, let's talk about strategy. The boys are facing an impossible challenge ahead of them. If you were in their shoes, what would your plan be? How would you handle taking down a demon prince and his army? Obviously, I mean either as your D&D character or if you were Fitzroy yourself, but hell, if you want to answer for you as yourself, that may be an even more interesting route. So let us know. Now, back to the podcast. Argo awakens screaming, not able to remember why. 
Fitzroy, however, wakes up to Argo's screams and his mental image of where Gray is as him standing at Argo's bed. <laughs> but he looks and doesn't see anything there. And just as he makes his realization, the hour on his spell ends. I mean, that was a really, really cool moment. But I do have a question. Don't they now sleep in separate bedrooms? They do. But I mean, he has the the image of Gray. So he probably had like his mind spike image of Argo's bed. Okay, okay. I get it, because you're saying, like, how would he have known he wasn't actually there? Physically there. Because they are in different rooms. But, like, the the Mind Spike vision. The Prestige. 100. The the Prestige. (laughs) That's always my answer whenever something doesn't make sense in a story. (laughs) The Prestige. Okay, thank you so much. Now it makes sense. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) Also unrelated, phenomenal movie, The Prestige, if you haven't seen it. Of course I haven't seen it. Really good. The book trash oh no i read the book because i love the movie so much and i was literally bored out of my goddamn mind the entire time (gasps) but the movie is really good well then i will watch the movie and not read the book it is one of the few movies where it's better than the book wow okay because you know obviously most of the time it's the other way around the book's much better than the movie but sometimes they can turn trash into gold and in this case it sounds like they did you know, that's always the goal. Unrelated. It'd be super lit, like, to write a book and have it be turned into a movie. Because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like, that's just so much money. So much money. And especially if it was made into, like, a, I, th- I guess television is the way to go, the way you want it to go. Oh, yeah. Like, if they were like, yeah, we want to buy your book and turn it into, like, a 12-episode HBO Max series. Ugh. Because then every single time they show one of the episodes, you get more money. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. You need to write a book. Get rich. You do need to write a book. You are very good at storytelling, so I support this. Skylar, uh, my wife, for those of you uh, listening, is mm-hmm. always trying to get me to write a book. Uh, yeah, she and I have talked about this before, and she's like, I love PJ's writing style. And I was like, yeah, no, it's very strong. He's very good at this. I don't she's know always what like, doing. that's what we're going to do. If we ever want to own a house, like you need to write the book, and then we'll become bestsellers. And we'll sell the movie rights. And I'm like, we'll probably write the book. And after I've been writing this book for like three months and I've wasted all this time on it, it'll sell like one and a half copies. And I will <laughs> feel like the failure that I've always felt like as a writer. How about this? Um, none, none of that can come true until you write the book. So... Yeah, I would love if none of that came true. That would be lit. Oh my God, but think of... You could... Go into this with like a dream cast of like, I want this actor to play this character and this actress to play this character. I don't think I'm going to be the next, you know, Dean Koontz or anything. I'm not saying you're going to be on that level either. I'm just saying, what if you do like, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird and it becomes like an instant classic and everyone has to read it in school because it's like so good and everything about it, like you learn so much from it and it becomes like this huge movie and it's just this cultural phenomenon. That's like a one hit wonder right? You could just have that one book, Where the Crawdads Sing. That's another one hit wonder. Like, you don't have to write a best-selling series, PJ. You just have to write that one book that's going to change all of American society and culture. Like, it's not a big deal. I don't think I'm going to write the next great American (laughs) novel. That was my goal for a lot of my life. Like, if you had asked, like, 15 to 18-year-old PJ, mm-hmm. his goal, like, he would have told you his goal was to write the next great American novel, but I'm not that kid anymore. <laughs> no, you're not that kid anymore, 
But I mean, listen, your best friend is telling you that you're really good at this. Your wife is telling you that you're really good at the this. The two Maybe. people who like <laughs> are most blinded by their adoration and love for me. No. Or we see something in you that you don't want to see in yourself. So at breakfast. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to move on. That's fine. But everyone tell PJ to write a book. <laughs> At breakfast, the word of the hellhound attacks has spread, uh, and the hall looks distinctly less full than normal, as even the most oblivious folks have started to realize that something is clearly wrong. However, Althea Song enters the room, and she makes her way over to the Thunderman, saying the investigation was ready to go, but her boss pulled the plug on it at the last minute, giving some BS excuse that she could only be at the school for a few days. Ugh. Which seems like, you know, Gray pulled a little bit of influence there. Yeah, and your typical, like, you know, governmental procedures and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Victory tells her about the attack last night and asks if she has any good news, and she says no. But asks how she can help now. She gives a warning that it seems like Gray has some powerful allies at the guild, so there is some red tape involved, but she will work on getting a group of people together she can trust. When Fitzroy's hackles raise a little on how little progress she can make, Argo calms him by saying that Althea seems to know what is up and understands how grave the situation is, and Fitzroy apologizes, asking Althea to scrounge up real heroes who are willing to do real heroic deeds as she can, and she heads off. And this is this is a struggle, right? Like mm-hmm. that's the whole thing with Gray having been Hieronymus for so long, is he has his fingers and all these pies exactly it's not just that he is masquerading as one of the biggest heroes in this society and so has a lot of sway over people just pretending to be someone else he's been doing this for 50 years he has educated an untold number of heroes and villains and probably made allies with other people like we have no idea how far gray's reach really is gone Yeah, no. And I mean, there's probably a bunch of people that know his secret and are very okay with it and like are willing to be allies of his and are probably in positions of power because they graduated from the top hero and villain and sidekick school in the, you know, entire realm. Yeah, exactly. So he's probably able to use existing connections to give people even more connections and he's able to build this empire around himself. Ugh. I mean, Grey is a pretty formidable foe in himself, but like every now and then when we step back. No foe is bigger than systemic problems. And essentially building a society around you that protects you. Yeah. Like, God, this I mean, is intense. Like not to not to make this political. Make it right? political. Do but it. But like look at someone like a Trump, right? Yes. Who yes. like realistically, like I mean, again, to date this for our listeners. We're in the middle of the second impeachment trial right now mm-hmm. in the Senate. And realistically, it feels like no matter what evidence, like they could literally pull up a video that of Donald Trump saying, I incited this insurrection and I'm not regretful of it at all. And I would do it again. And he still wouldn't get convicted because like he has built this environment where if a Republican goes against him, their chances of ever being elected again are gone. Exactly. I remember this was in the middle of his presidential term. Our One of our friends at work, Jacob, because I was like, I don't understand how his base doesn't see all the things that we're seeing. And Jacob said, oh, no, no, he could like commit murder on camera and people would still follow him till their dying days like there's nothing he would do that would cause people to not go against him and that's kind of the power that gray has right like he's created Mm -hmm. a society where he has so much influence and so much power and 
again, realistically, to go against him is so insane. Yeah, a lot of people just won't ever do it. 100%. So, I mean, again, not to, I mean, we'll reel it back. This is getting a little like yeah. really dark and heavy. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I think it's a good point to make. Mm-hmm. Crabtree stops the boys in the hallway and says she has finished the classes and asks the surprises for the boys and they follow her down to the artificing classroom. She gives all of them true sight lenses, which grants the wearer true sight for one minute. Yay. And Fitzroy bemoans that he doesn't want them all to match. <laughs> <laughs> then Crabtree pulls out three rings, the first one being the Ring of Truth, that will go to Fitzroy. And after a failed whiz save, Argo is overcome with jealousy that Fitzroy is being gifted something, hmm. which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, if Fitzroy is holding hands with someone while wearing the ring, if they believe the answer to be true, the ring vibrates. So it's a good little tool for, you know, figuring stuff out. Yeah, but Fitzroy uh, does But Fitz have has to have, to have yeah. yeah, he does have to have their consent before using the ring. Yes. Argo gets the eavesdrop ring where he can put his hand against the wall or window and he can hear what's going on in the room for 30 seconds. So cool. Which clutch. Yeah, that could come in handy. And Master Fearbulg is next, and Argo is once again driven crazy with jealousy. Oh my god. But the Fearbulg's ring is called the Tangled Web, which is a triggering device for a spider silk veil, which is very difficult to detect and is extremely light, but it will translate anything the Fearbulg says into lies for five minutes. So he can tell the truth all he wants, and the veil will do all the work, which is such an interesting item. Is this homebrew by Travis or is this 100 100%, 100%. That's not, none of these are a thing. Okay. So it's all just Travis gifting them things he made. Okay. Yeah. But that's super interesting. I think even Justin was saying like, you're determined to make this fearable of someone who can tell lies one way or another. Well, because he kind of needs to, right? Mm Mm-hmm. It's becoming more and more necessary. And so it's an interesting tool to be like, yeah, here is essentially like i don't know why this is the analogy my brain is going with because it makes no sense (laughs) but it's almost like you know like here's like a mirror of erised type of thing where you get to people get to hear what they want to hear out of your conversation as opposed to like what you're actually saying i i think that analogy holds like it kind of works but it's also like it's a spider silk veil (laughs) and not a, a mirror it's like if the mirror of error said and the invisibility cloak had a baby and that baby told lies. <laughs> <laughs> told nothing but lies. Nothing but lies. <laughs> the time has come for their meeting with Osmandalius, who is standing on Jackal's balcony. They give some of their history, which is impressive and expansive, and they offer some advice. Fitzroy uses his ring of truth, asking if Osmandalius is working with Grey, and he says he is not. That's good. Oz says there are five questions they need to answer if they are going to win. Before that, how do you feel about Osmandalius? I don't have any problems with Osmandalius. He is a little abrupt and he doesn't really understand social connections, but that works for a Warforged for me. It does. I just, yeah, I kind of feel like he needs to tone it down, but at the same time, like there, he, he makes the most valid points of anyone so far. So at the same time, I think it's, yeah, I think he just doesn't understand the social aspect, but he's a tactician. Obviously, that's why he's here. Exactly. Yeah, he's he's here for this. He's crass. He's cold about it, but I think that's kind of what they need. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, he's not the social graces teacher. He's the tactician teacher. So so he asks his questions. The first one is, how are they going to mask their true plan? And Fitzroy says the war is the mask, which is true. 
Yeah, because he wants to assassinate Grey in his home. The second is how will they distract Grey during their assault? And Fitzroy says Grey will be asleep, so it shouldn't be too much of an issue. Mm -hmm. The third question is how can they be sure Grey will be in his palace when they strike? And Fitzroy says they'll circle back on that one, which, I mean, yeah, it's a good question to have. Yeah, exactly. Like, how can you be sure he is going to be in his palace asleep when you're there? Yeah. Yeah. The fourth question is, how will you get the weapons needed from the Heroic Oversight Guild? (laughs) And Fitzroy regrets not asking Althea to get them and plans on getting a contract with her about that. Good thing Osmondalis asked. Thank God. And I feel that so much because there have been so many times where, especially you, because you're a DM the most, you have your NPCs like, is there anything else you need from me literally anything else that you need from me and we're like no i don't think so and then the second they're gone we're like oh man we needed something from them so yeah, i understand it's so it. funny every time because i'm just <laughs> like i feel like you guys are not putting the pieces of the puzzle together that right? i need you to put together like God. i can only drop so many breadcrumbs like I I try to do everything short of having the NPC be like, did you notice that thing I did? Did you want to ask about that? Did you <laughs> did you want to know if that could be helpful to your plan and your cause? Because it, it will be. It will. It, it is. I'm telling you, I am literally here to help you right now. You know how I'm like an all-powerful angel that can travel uh, at will through this place? Uh, and I just did a thing to demonstrate that. And you need to get somewhere else. Maybe ask for my help. Maybe. <laughs> That that was our last session for those of you listening. Um, and it was even to the point where another player and I, Noel, we were sitting there like, we're missing something. We're missing something because you kept asking like, I'm going to leave. Is there anything else? Is there literally anything else? Because like, I have to go. I just did this thing, literally anything. And we're like, God, we're missing something. What is it? It's so funny because, yeah, I mean, but at the end, you guys were like, nope, I guess we're good. And I was like, okay. And in my head, I was like, I literally don't know how you guys are going to get out of this dungeon without the help she was going to provide. But okay. Right? And then luckily, luckily, you let her come back because someone had a high enough role to bring her back. I literally was like, you have to make like a role to get her back because like she's gone. She's gone. She, which was she listening to? Immigration song? Immigrant song. Immigrant Immigration song. song. What the hell? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't heard that version. That's the Trump version. <laughs> oh, uh, but yeah, gross. she was like, I-, I loved playing her. She was fun. She was one of the funnest NPCs. And honestly, there was another one. She was like our contact. I had a lot of fun NPCs, I feel like, in this last dungeon. You did, but... I mean, you always have a lot of fun NPCs. It's just that this time, for whatever reason, we really leaned into I'm them. I'm trying to remember the last, because I feel like there was another one in even just the last session, but I can't remember who. It was our contact, and we were talking about... Oh, just yeah, became, the whole, just... like, uh, my dungeon guy. <laughs> yes, because, you know, we were like, I don't understand how to get there. And she's like, this is how vaults work. Do you not understand how vaults work? This is how they're built. I have a guy. And we're like, wait, we can build our own. It just, like, devolved. And then but the rest also of that the- conversation also was very much the, like, NPC having to, like, feed you guys a line. Yes. Because you guys were like, well, there's nothing else to do here. We don't know where else to go. And I was like, well, you guys literally have a map. And you can see on your map that there are two two rooms you haven't gone into maybe one of those two rooms is where you need to go oh my god yeah no it was it you was guys wild. Are so good and sometimes you guys just miss obvious things i feel like all of our creativity 
especially for some of the players, gets used up. I can speak to this. This is where I use all my cool moves is during combat because I'm saving everything for like those big boss moves. So even when we're having conversations with people, it just doesn't sometimes register to me that like, oh, that's important or oh, we can avoid everything if we just do this other thing. I don't know. Dungeons and Dragons is wild, man. Is Ozymandias asks his fifth and final question, which is why six months? Fitzroy says, "Like, hey, we didn't set the timetable," and Ozymandias says, "That's the point." Mm-hmm. Master Fearable kind of agrees and wonders if the six months is the time Gray needs and not the time they need. And at that realization that maybe they can do something earlier, that's where the episode fades. And I'm very curious what they're going to come up with now. I know, like, it's been hard enough to try to find an army. Like, I don't think they're ready. But maybe that's not, but I don't think that's the point. I think that I agree with Osmandalius. Maybe, maybe Gray's the one that needs the six months to get everything ready. And maybe attacking him before then is the advantage they need. That's true. Because maybe he won't be expecting an assassination attempt at the three month mark. I would hope no one's ever expecting an assassination attempt because then it's not an assassination. Well, I mean, I feel like most political leaders probably are anticipating assassination attempts at all times. That's true. Yeah, that's like a If good I point. was like the president, I would constantly be like, today might be the day that someone JFKs me. <laughs> not Lincoln's you? No, I don't go to plays, so they can't Lincoln me. Oh, but it was my thing. Like, I want to take you to plays. I want to take you to like a musical. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm sure you do. John Wilkes Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't get You're going to go take me to see our American cousin so that I can get my brains blown out? <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you. Lincoln wasn't killed by who took him to the play. He was killed by an actor. Uh, yeah, exactly. No one, and you know what actors do? They're good enough to convince you to go see a play. So technically, <laughs> <laughs> so technically, 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 six Ember Tyrannus, not on my watch. <laughs> now I'm never going to get PJ into the theater with me. At least not to see our American cousin. I wasn't going to take you to see that. Uh-huh. I'm sure you weren't. Not anymore. Put away that gun. Oh, man. Well, that's all we have for you guys this week. (laughs) (laughs) You have a lot of evidence that Lauren is trying to assassinate me. Oh, I don't think so. I don't think that's And that the boys might be trying to assassinate Gray soon, but we'll see what happens with that information. Yeah. I'm curious to see where this goes. Yeah, same. But until next time, I've been PJ. I've been Lauren, and I'm not trying to kill PJ. Uh Uh-huh. We'll see about that. And we'll see you again next Thursday when we are once again talking Taz. Thank <laughs> you.